Welcome everyone to the Gov Navigator Show, a government-focused program that won't make you seasick. We're the Gov Navigators. I'm Robert Shea. And I'm Adam Hughes. We hope to enlighten and enliven your week with news and insightful, entertaining guests, all on the topic of government management. Enjoy today's episode of Gov Navigators, brought to you by the creative geniuses behind the award-winning podcast, FedHeads. Welcome to another episode of the Gov Navigator Show. I'm Robert Shea. What a week it's been, Robert. Aren't you going to introduce yourself? Oh, I think everybody knows who I am. I'm Adam Hughes. I'm co-host of the Gov Navigator Show. The ego is on this call. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, I want to call you on the carpet a little bit. Did you forget a birthday? Wow, now I'm literally sweating. I'm instantaneously sweating. I'm not talking about the fact that it is Brother George Shea's birthday today. Okay, good. Um, I'm actually talking about last week's celebration of the second anniversary of the Biden PMA. Oh, yes. I did forget. I did. This is embarrassing. I, I heard a rumor that there was a party um, to which we were not invited. You know, maybe that's why I forgot. Or you like you blacked it out because you're bitter. <laughs> no, the the invitation would have reminded me that you know you know let's get a present, you know yeah. the PMA is moving into the terrible twos. What do you bring to a PMA party? Uh, champagne probably. Back in the day, it would have been yellow, red, green markers. But that, <laughs> I was going to say color. I'm dating po- myself. I was going to say da- color coded post it notes, but that didn't seem technologically advanced enough. So, but seriously, there was. Some pomp and circumstance. Not, not in addition to the party. I note that uh, agency priority goals were updated, and on performance.gov you can actually see what the new goals are compared to what the old go- old goals are, and real data associated with them. But we also saw each of the pillars. Um, I'm sorry, priorities of the PMA broken out, and and some of the accomplishments that are being tended among them. The administration exceeded its goal of hiring 5,800 targeted positions for the bipartisan infrastructure law. And, of course, issued the executive order on AI. What's important about that associated with the human capital pillar is that it's focused extensively on making sure that the federal government and America in general has the talent it needs to win the AI race. Very important. There were also updates on uh, customer experience, and the updates focused on IDEA Act guidance. That is an accomplishment, though it was five years in the making. It takes so, quite some time. <laughs> but I guess once it out, once it's out, it's worth celebrating. Indeed, maybe um, all the more so we should be celebrating when it takes five years. Yeah, and then. They projected that the life experience project teams are now transitioning to the development phase. So there's been a lot of planning. We should see real impacts. Not that we haven't had impacts, but I think we're going into the meat of the matter. Now, probably a good time to mention we spent a lot of time with the CX community. We did. The CX Summit was this past week, and it was a a star-studded lineup of speakers and panelists from across government and industry. It was put on by ACT-IACT and... Our, our good friend Martha Doris at 
Doris Consulting International, partnered to create the agenda. It maybe maybe even too much CX firepower. It was it was a exhausting event. Well, I think you're talking about the fact that the lights went out, food wasn't very plentiful, and there weren't enough breaks. It's true. All those things are true. But the amount of content that was consumed was uh, pretty substantial. Reflecting on the summit, the listing of accomplishments was important, but also the intertwining of all the various PMA initiatives in the CX priority. An engaged workforce helps improve delivery of services. Better uh, delivery of services actually improves employee engagement, but also um, making payments accurately, doing a better job with grants management, and improving the acquisition process all should contribute to a better citizen experience. It's true. And I actually was sort of pleasantly surprised about how many people attended. It was an absolutely packed house for this event and much more than I've seen at any solitary CX event before for government. So the fact that people are energized and excited about continuing to talk about this, learn best practices, and trying to continue to make things better through this, I think, very important aspect of the president's management agenda, I think is fantastic. I did note that Danny Werfel gave a good talk. He found time to appear there, but not yet on GovNavigators. It's an open invite, Commissioner right. Werfel, as as our friend Tracy Martini likes to call you. So Anytime, um, really. Uh, and then the final priority of the PMA managing the business of government, they tout the launch of the Council on Federal Financial Assistance and an interesting memo um, of understanding, an MOU, between OFPP on behalf of civilian agencies and DOD signed an MOU establishing parity between civilian and defense contracting professionals. So those communities can now cross agencies, which I guess hadn't happened before. I guess great, but also sort of surprising that that hasn't happened in the, what, 200 and almost 50 year history of the United States. Yeah. Are you new here? Are you new <laughs> to this? Certainly not. Speaking of contracting, uh, can't wait to talk to our guest. So there are no shortage of things to talk about around contracting. That's a definitive statement. There's nothing else that I can add to that. And so it's good that the GovNavigators were able to secure the expert on federal acquisition. Larry, Alan, thank you for being with us today. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me on. Notably, despite your youthful appearance, you were 20 years with the Coalition for Government Procurement. That's right. I led the Coalition for Government Procurement. Best known, I think, as an association of commercial item and service contractors with a heavy emphasis on their GSA schedule work, but certainly working in all things in the IDIQ landscape. So, so you, you've kind of like us, we've gone out on your own with Allen Federal Business Partners. Tell us about that journey. Well, that's a great question. When I was at the coalition, I started having companies come to me and they said, hey, Larry, I've got this problem with my government business. Can you help me out? And my answer almost always was, sure, I can help you out. But I don't have really anything to sell you except an association membership, and that isn't going to do it. So, you know, unlike you all who are much smarter than I am, I 
eventually hit me over the head with a rock and said, you know, maybe that's an indication that I go out on my own. But for the last 12 years, Allen Federal Business Partners has been helping companies both increase their business, but also increase their contract compliance. My mantra is I want the government to write checks to my clients. I don't want my clients to have to write checks back to the government. That's pretty good. You put that on a bumper sticker. <laughs> Leonard, you've got a particular tone, an authentic one, in what you post on LinkedIn. And your posts are not long, but they're not short either. But I just want to thank you for those and ask you to talk about your latest, the th- three things contractors need to know about their federal business now. And you posted that this week. So we want to get it from the horse's mouth right away. Sure. So what I try to do in this newsletter and with this LinkedIn post, a few times a year, I'll come up with three things that I think contractors ought to be focusing on now. And it does vary. As you all know, there's a certain ebb and flow to the government market. So right now, here we are in the winter heading into the end of the calendar year. These are the three things I think businesses should be focusing on now. Uh, The first one is that despite the fact that we're under a continuing resolution and we are in December, federal business is not stuck in neutral. There's a lot of things that are happening in the market. Contract awards continue to be made with sources that have multi-year funding or non-appropriated dollars. There are task orders and follow-on work that's being awarded for projects that already started. Maybe they're in the second or third year of a a long-term project. Uh, There's also a lot of planning to be done that's being done about acquisitions that may happen later on this year in the event that Congress passes appropriation bills. So if you think that there's no business to be had and there's nothing to be done right now, I want people to think again. There's lots to be done. At a minimum, you should be out talking to federal agencies about the planning and proposal work that they're doing right now, the foundational things that lead to acquisitions. And you also ought to be talking a little bit with your partners. This is a good time of year to think about developing new partnerships. You know, one of the things that I have seen as I've looked at federal award data lately, is an awful lot of awards going to companies with different socioeconomic classifications. This really shouldn't be too much of a surprise given the Biden administration's push towards increasing small disadvantaged business awards. But nevertheless, this is something that not all contractors have picked up on. So if you're a large business or even another small business, being able to partner with that service-disabled, veteran-owned small business to do business at the Department of Veterans Affairs is a very good idea. Having an 8A company as a partner can be a good idea. Similarly, as you all know, awarding contracts to Alaska Native corporations is something that a lot of agencies look upon as the simple, easy button for government acquisition. And while Alaska Native Corporation business may have gotten a little bit of scrutiny and a bad rap about a decade ago, it is rebounded and it's being conducted with a vengeance. So I wanted to ask you about the 8A comment you made. Have you seen any changes given the recent court cases about what SBA needs to do to refocus that program? Have you seen anything in the data that's shown that maybe agencies are shying away from that during this kind of transition period or no? I haven't really seen anything on that. Certainly, I'm aware of, of that process. You know, you have to you have to prove that you're actually disadvantaged. You're not presumptively disadvantaged. 
just by meeting the 8A criteria. What I have seen, interestingly, is if you look at GSA, they're setting up a whole kind of uh, shopping wing, if you will, an acquisition wing, kind of like a different part of their their acquisition store solely for 8A contractors. So there'll be a special place for 8A companies that have scheduled contracts to reside. That's all designed to heighten the visibility of the 8A companies and to point out that you can get a lot of 8A solutions through the schedule. So I think that's interesting. I think that it's probably too soon. You know, we have to wait until the final uh, FY23 numbers come in, but given when the SBA started promulgating those rules, I wouldn't expect to be able to see much in the way of drop-off because of the, the new tightening. And certainly we're not going to see that until maybe the, we won't really see any trend lines until the third or fourth quarter of this fiscal year. Yeah. Well, and then that GSA heightening of the eight A's, easy way for folks to follow your advice of reaching out and trying to develop new partnerships too. Right. Well, and that's why I think, you know, if you look at this and it's particularly going to be true this fiscal year, when we're going to have a very compressed acquisition time frame, and there's going to be a lot that needs to be done in a very short amount of time. Federal buyers and many agencies are going to be looking for easy, fast ways to buy. What's one easy, fast way to buy? Give it to an 8A company or compete it among 8A companies only. So I think that that's going to continue to be a viable acquisition option, just as ANCs, just are you know anything like IDIQ contracts that are faster to do than brand new procurements from scratch. You, you mentioned a couple of times what's on the horizon, and we've had a couple of people place bets on what's going to happen with the budget. Any prognosticating you'd like to do here on the Gov Navigator show about wh- when and if we're going to get a budget? Well, I hate to say I'm a little bit of a skeptic right now. I wouldn't say that my outlook is mostly cloudy, but I would definitely say there are clouds that are gathering. If you look at some of the messaging that's just recently come out of Congress this week, uh, you've seen the Speaker of the House say that he doesn't want to do any more short-term CRs. Who knows if that will actually end up happening or not, but if there are no more short-term CRs, then you know, that begs the question, are you going to be able to get the appropriations work done by either January 19th or February 4th, depending on the agency uh, that you need to do to get a appropriations in, pass, in place? Or are you going to do full year CRs? You know, that's something that's perpetually mentioned. But, you know, this year I'm starting to see the possibility of that uptick a little bit, you know. We had Patty Murray, who's the chair of the Senate Appropriations Committee, say yesterday that she thought that was the direction in which the House is going. I think if you're a contractor or a government agency, you've got to start to have contingency plans for what year-long CR might mean, particularly for civilian agencies, or what it might look like if you don't have appropriations until the springtime. Yeah, and certainly the I mean, once you get to February, you're almost halfway through the year. And so, I mean, we're basically by default moving into a <laughs> year-long CR. Well, the, and that's exactly right. We've Unfortunately, we've seen this previously. We haven't seen it for a few years. You know, in, in my uh, book, December has become kind of the new normal for passing uh, FY, whatever, new FY appropriations bills. That didn't happen this year. 
I think it was three years ago that we didn't see a final appropriations until uh, March. And as you all know, it takes maybe what, four to six weeks for individual offices to get their spending number after Congress passes an yeah. appropriations measure. So, you know, if you look at it and you think, well, you know, the optimistic view is around February 1st, it certainly wouldn't be until the middle of March before agencies got their number. And that really cuts the fiscal year by a little bit more than in half. I want to take this new speaker at his word that he doesn't want to do any more short-term CRs, but currently he's he can't even pass the appropriations bills that he wants to pass out of the House of Representatives. So. And right. And that's an increasing problem. You know, with, with Speaker McCarthy leaving, I think, at the end of this calendar year, if I heard correctly, you know, right. the Republican margin yeah. in the House is going to be very slim indeed. And whether we're talking about an appropriations bill or any type of bill that makes a serious policy or financial commitment, I think getting something through the House is going to be very difficult. Yeah. I think they're they're watching their blood pressure and vitamin intake very closely up there. Larry, that's a very safe bet too. We, Robert, we need to get Charles Cooper back on so he can talk us all off a ledge about how it's probably going to work out just fine. He can hold our hands through the dark days of January. I don't know how many clouds you're counting, Larry, but what does all this mean in the context of a presidential election year? Um, it's my experience that things slow considerably um, at least from a new initiative perspective, while there's a presidential election going on, and this is no, not even a normal presidential election, I would say. Any any thoughts on what folks should be looking at with all that going on? Well, I think there are at least two things to look at going into the presidential election year. On the one hand, I think you're right. I think you know we see departures traditionally from political appointees mm-hmm. around this time. Uh, you know, and I think you know we're on cue to see that again and. When you have that, you have people that go into an acting capacity, the careerists who are great people, they're good managers, they know what they're doing, but it inevitably does drop the pace of business down. If you were in fifth gear before, now maybe you're in third or fourth gear. So you're still moving, but you're maybe not moving ahead as quickly or on as many things. The other side of that though, is that I think from the regulatory agenda, if you look at some of the things that this administration has been using to uh, try to achieve socioeconomic gains via the acquisition system. When you get into the presidential election year, I think sometimes there's an ability, tendency, however you want to look at it, to go into what I call the four corners offense. I'm getting old. Not everybody understands what that means, but in the day before shot clocks. I, I feel, I'm feeling you. I'm feeling you, Larry. I'm feeling you. <laughs> so, you know, you could, There is a tendency, I think, to go into slow mode on new regulations in anticipation of what an election outcome might bring. So I think this administration certainly has had a very ambitious regulatory agenda as far as uh, leveraging the acquisition system to achieve lots of outcomes. Wouldn't surprise me to see that slow down a bit as long along with the pace of business. Larry, talk about this new better contracting initiative. I think it's a little late to launch something of that nature, in my view, but, and I think it covers a lot of the stuff we already talked about, but do you see that having a tremendous impact? 
I think you know, what we're talking really is about the better buying initiative, something that came out several weeks ago from the administration, and it had a number of pillars. The one that's gotten the most attention is consolidating software acquisition, going back to enterprise-wide software acquisition. Now, Robert, you and I- It's a new been, idea. It's a new idea. Right, you're right. <laughs> you, and I, you and I have been in this business a while. I've, I'm calling this son of smart buy. So, <laughs> S-O-S-B. That's always been the next. So, you know, it's it's always great to try things again. You know, maybe technology changes things. You know, we'll have to wait and see what the outcome is. But you know, the net net is that you know, con, consolidating and making an enterprise type of buy for software is not a new idea. How it's executed, the buy-in is from agencies uh, will be, I think, a significant detail. Also, not insignificant is you know, this kind of conflicts with the administration's stated goal of doing more business with small businesses. There are an awful lot of small businesses that are authorized software resellers there. So you have to kind of balance out, do you want the small business market access or do you want the benefits that an enterprise-wide approach might be able to bring to you? You know, not the first time, certainly, that we've seen conflicting goals in government acquisition and just you know, leave it to the line people to have to sort out which one takes precedence at a given time. One of the other things that's in the Better Buying Initiative to take note of is always the downward price pressure on contractors. We've seen a lot of this coming out at GSA, not just in the schedules program, but in other areas where there's contract level pricing. There's a, a big discussion in GSA right now on low price versus best value. And I think, you know, that's coming that will inevitably creep its way into other federal agencies. I think it's kind of tough to see how that's going to play itself out. We don't have, as you all know, really a full-time administrator of the Office of Federal Procurement Policy who's that can really be the primary spokesperson for things like Better Buying Initiative and an outward and visible person to steer the FAR Council to implement those goals. Uh, so if we don't have that, We'll have to see if there's more behind the scenes work going on here that makes itself evident. And but that's not going to roll out for a while. Larry, there's a number of very large contract vehicles that are in various stages of almost ready to launch. Which ones in particular have you been watching or do you think are most at risk of not launching? I think there are two contracts at the top of my risk list. One is NIH's CIOSP4, which is a contract that is now several years behind schedule. We'll have to uh, do a whole program on that one, I think. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. yeah, fortunately for NIH, you know, they are past certain protests. They're going to be down to post-award protests. And since there have been protests at every step of the way, there's every reason to believe that there will be post-award protests. So I think it eventually will happen. But, you know, coming right up behind that, the same group at NIH is going to have to put out the CIOCS, the hardware part of that, of their IDIQ offering. The other contract that's on the risk list is GSA's Polaris. This is their small business IT IDIQ contract. That's have been protest riddled. I know GSA is moving the pace to try to evaluate awards and give people an opportunity to update awards after the claims court made a ruling earlier this year that sent GSA partially back to the drawing board. 
The other things that are coming up, as I mentioned, CIOCS, that's a hardware play. So a little bit of a smaller contract. But if that's your area, particularly in health IT, that's something to watch. And GSA's Alliant 3 contract. Between now and Christmas time, we're expected to get the latest draft RFP out. So in case you all are wondering what you're going to be reading through the Christmas holidays, that could be it. I feel like I'm targeting December 22nd at about 6.18 p.m. is my guess is when they're going to release yeah, that. You know, I don't think you're too far off from that, honestly. <laughs> yeah, there's not a lot of time for Alliant 3 to get out there, but GSA is certainly taking its time getting the next draft RFP out. But that's going to obviously be a very significant contract. Alliant 2 has been hugely successful and very popular. There's very reason to believe that Alliant 3 will be. And then coming out in the award phase for next year, already all the bids are in, will be GSA's Oasis Plus contract. It'll be interesting to see what happens with Oasis Plus. Oasis, the initial Oasis, been very, very popular indeed. Oasis Plus is going to look fairly different from that contract. So we'll have to see how GSA markets it, how the customers accept it. Uh, hopefully it'll be equally well received, but they're not on the face of a comparable contracts. Well, ye old Oracle of acquisition, it's fantastic of you to spend some time with the Gov Navigators. We may have to rank all of your predictions and have you back on to see how you did. Thanks for coming yeah. on, Larry. We appreciate it. Navigate well. Thank you. <laughs> Take care. So the one thing I wanted to mention to Larry is some of the most one of the most practical pieces of advice he gave is that if you need something from a Fed right now, you better get it in quick because use use or lose leave is a thing. Coming up, right? Coming up real fast. Yeah. So, or is up. I mean, yeah, or maybe it, they're already done. Exactly. That's right. That's right. I've got sixty days of user lose leave, <laughs> and then I'm taking the fall off. That's right. But it's fairly light week. I note that the AGA's Corporate Partner Advisory Group quarterly meeting and reception is this week. So I'll be there. Wowza. Well, reception. I mean, that's something. Right. Yeah. yeah. Pretty drinks. Nice. See free, folks before. Free, I'm using air quotes. <laughs> air quotes. Exactly. I mean, other than the regular day to day, that's all I've got on my calendar. What about you? Well, ATARC, our friends at ATARC, one of the leading IT industry organizations in Washington, D.C. has their advanced for advanced technology and something or something research consortium. Yeah. Maybe if I got three out of the five right, I feel like I'm going to be doing well. Unfair pop quizums. <laughs> I almost looked it up before because I knew you were going to ask me to. <laughs> anyway, ATARC, their 2023 CIO Summit is on December 13th in Washington, D.C. There are CPEs available for those of you that are also going to be going to the AGA. CPAG meeting, but they have a excellent lineup of speakers, a lot of CIOs, IT executives from across the government. Looks like a really, really great lineup. So highly recommend if you if you want to squeeze in one more day-long conference in a hotel before the holidays, this is probably the one for you. And you'll find their feds not taking advantage of user loosely. Correct. All right. Well, we'll have a good week. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Gov Navigator Show, brought to you by Gov Navigators. We sure hope you enjoyed it and learned something in the process. And didn't get seasick. Right, of course. If you want to know more about us and what we're up to, 
please follow us on social media or visit govnavigators.com. Ahoy! Oh, jeez.